Welcome to Redefining Success, the Kingdom Builder Spotlight. I'm your host, Eric L. Dunavant, the Mindset Disruption Strategist and President and CEO of Paradium. My teams and I redefine success for purpose-driven families and businesses by challenging social norms and balancing family and finance to build kingdom impact and generational prosperity. I believe that there are families and businesses that have learned to give a new definition to the word success from a kingdom perspective. Sit back, relax, and enjoy the next 20 to 30 minutes where we take traditional thinking and turn it upside down. Welcome to another episode of Redefining Success. This is Eric L. Dunavant, the Mindset Disruption Strategist. And when I started this show, I had a very clear idea of the types of guests that I wanted to have on the show. And I want you to know that today's guest is Mark McLean, who is the CEO of SailPoint. He's an author, he's a husband, he's a father, he's a mentor, um, and he's probably one of the most humble men I've ever met and passes on so much wisdom. And when I started the show, it was like, if I could have Mark on the show, that would be like the greatest blessing, the greatest win. And so here we are, and I could not be more excited. And it's gonna be a great journey and a great time today as we just get to visit. And you're gonna get to just learn from a man who has been through the ups and downs, understands what it means to redefine success and to truly live a life that is a kingdom priority. So. Mark, thank you so much for being here. Eric, thanks. It's a, it's a humbling, to use the word again, introduction. I'm a little uncomfortable, but I'll, I'll let you roll with it. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I've known you long enough to know that um, I, you, you don't see humility in a lot of people. And I, again, we, I, I was joking with someone the other day. I said my humility, I, it was something along the lines of I just, I'm humble about my humility. And <laughs> you know how that just, that's all. Yes. I'll get you. It's, it's the ultimate tricky sin, right? Like, oh, wait, exactly as soon right. as I'm proud of my humility, I'm failing. It's like, dog, got it. How do you do this? Exactly. Exactly. So, Mark, my first question always is let's pretend it's a good sunny Saturday afternoon. We're hanging out in my backyard. I've got burgers on the grill. I've invited about a lot of my friends over. Um, introduce yourself to my friends here in the audience, if you would. Salivating, but let me get past that. Uh, burger thought to the <laughs> intro. Um, so I'm Mark McLean, um, I'm happily married 36 years to my lovely wife, Marge. We have three adult now married children who have blessed us with seven as of this point, awesome. grandchildren. Uh, I've been in the tech world for a long, long time. Started out in big tech, I call it IBM and HP for about a decade. Uh, came to a startup as kind of a player on the team. Uh, got to kind of run up a bit with that and then started uh, a company with some friends in 2000. That went well. Uh, we sold that business after about five years to a big tech firm and then started the company I'm still running today, SailPoint, about seven, almost 17 years ago, which is mind boggling to say. We thought it would be a four to six year run like the first startup we did with some of the same folks. And uh, we may get into that a little, but it's been a crazy journey from venture capital through private equity to an IPO, and very recently announced we're going private with that same PE firm. And people can infer what they want about the future of that journey, but it's probably safe to say there's a future growth 
plan that would have uh, caused us to take that step. And so we're excited about where the future goes from a business standpoint. Um, from a from a Christian uh, standpoint, I've been uh, heavily involved in the church my whole life, kind of raised in a Christian home and been in leadership now, been a, at a home church here in Austin for 27 years and have been an elder there for about 20 of those altogether, I think, uh, with a little break in the middle. Um, so I've been in kind of church leadership as well and kind of seen kind of what it's like to lead in kind of a family context, a business context, and a, and a church context. And they're all highly interrelated, but different. So uh, I've, I've learned some stuff along that way too. Mark, one of the things that I think um, causes me to just really look, I, I'm, I'm not going to go fanboy here, but to really look up to you and what you do <laughs> Um, centers around this idea. We talked about the humility in the beginning, but I want to I want to take that back. Like I imagine, like all of us, you you kind of started out or kind of hit a place where you're looking at you're kind of in this tech industry and you've got these visions of hey, there's big things I want. I want to be a tech CEO someday. And what you mm -hmm. thought that was going to be versus what you've learned about what that really takes to be. Tell me a little bit about that part of the journey. Um, well, I think to be fair, I wouldn't say I wanted to be a tech CEO someday very far back. I think I, my journey is not one of, uh, you know, I always laugh about, you know, the, the, the little kid who says someday I want to, you know, run, run Procter & Gamble or someone Walmart or something. I'm, I was so not that kid. My dad's a social worker. My mom was a teacher, no real business exposure. Um, I was a good student. I was a leader in school pretty frequently, that kind of leadership gifting that that I feel like God gave me from the beginning and just kind of bopped along. At one point, I thought I was going to maybe go to law school because people told me I could talk and I was logical. So I thought, oh, maybe I should be a lawyer. Didn't know any lawyers, didn't know what a lawyer did for a living. Thankfully, that didn't happen. I don't know if I would have enjoyed it. I love my legal friends. I don't think that was my calling. Went into big companies thinking, I'll just go work in a corporation and maybe someday I'll climb that ladder some. After a decade of that, kind of figured out, no, maybe I'm more oriented to some small companies. So took a flyer to, that was our move to Austin from California. And even going there, still didn't have the thought that I would ever run something or, or start something. I just thought I was joining a smaller business. It was after that experience that a few friends and I kind of had seen the movie, as I like to say, enough to go, well, you know, maybe we could start something. By the way, it was 1999. And for those that know the tech industry history, everybody was booming. Everybody was starting businesses. Like you could fall, you could fall off the boat and start a business. It just like, it wasn't, didn't look hard. Everybody's raising money and all that. Then, you know, 2000 hit, 2001, 9-11. So it wasn't the greatest initial few years there of trying to get a business going. But then I got bit, I think, a little by the entrepreneurial bug, had a good experience. We had a good outcome, as I said, and then started this company thinking I would probably lather, rinse, repeat that story two or three more times. Start a tech business, grow it to a certain scale, not huge. We only had 100 people when we sold Waveset, that first company, to Sun Microsystems. Mm. And I thought, oh, that was fun. We could do that again two or three times. I'm in my early 40s. I, you know, maybe do this time early 50s, maybe mid 50s. This is great. And so started SailPoint thinking that was the play. And it turned out we were almost right. We almost got bought about six years yeah. in. That didn't happen. That that took off on a different journey. As I said, there's kind of a long story there we don't go into. But to your point, like I didn't set out to be a leader of companies when I was very young. I, you know, my first president, I was president at Waveset, not CEO. We we're kind of co-CEOs, my buddy and I, Mike. 
And that started when I was 38. <laughs> um, so, you know, at 42, we sold that business for a nice outcome. So, you know, you don't exactly feel like an overnight success at 42. Um, and here I am just turned 60 recently at, at this job. And now it is a reasonably successful by the world's terms business. Um, but it's sort of like, I always kind of jokingly call myself the accidental entrepreneur, probably somewhat the accidental CEO. <laughs> I, I felt like I sort of got more and more comfortable in leadership roles and over all these years of being a leader, now I kind of get winding back to your question, have certainly developed some stronger views on what leadership is all about and, and what the role of the leader is and um, how to lead effectively and all that. So I, I've definitely school hard knocks. I did an MBA, turns out years ago, but I think back then I was still working at IBM and I was just like, oh, this is interesting. I'll try to take this back to my normal little job, you know? And now I wish kind of I'd taken that MBA about 10 years later when I was getting into running businesses, I probably would have remembered a lot more of it. But um, anyways, all that to say, yeah, it's been a definitely learning on the job thing for me to some degree with mentors and folks around me uh, that I could learn from. And I've often felt like I did forge a lot of my own views on this stuff by amalgamating pieces of others' views uh, rather than just kind of wholesale adopting one one person's views, I guess the way I describe it. Well, so that is a, I mean, that's a non-traditional path from the standpoint of not having the ambition, but still ending up in a place. So who or what were kind of some of your greatest teachers? And I think what would be helpful too would be like, mm -hmm. what did you see that was done maybe incorrectly or could be done better that you were like, no, no, no. And when I get the opportunity or if I ever get the opportunity, because you said you kind of shaped some of your own views, I think that this would work a little bit better if we did it differently. Yeah, no, that's good. And like, I don't want to mischaracterize. I think it's fair to say I was always somewhat ambitious and achievement oriented, but not like entrepreneurial. Like mm -hmm. I kind of thought, oh, I'll join this big corporate job, which originally wasn't even sure I was going to get into that world. But once I did, I'm like, oh, I kind of fit in this world. It was my first few years there at IBM. And I kind of saw myself moving up to some level of executive leadership. I had even certainly no aspirations. Oh, I'll someday be the CEO of IBM. I didn't, I didn't think that. <laughs> but, um, but I thought, oh, yeah, I, I can see where I could be a mid-level executive here. You know, I started in the field. So I thought, oh, I could run a branch, what they called a branch or maybe a region. You know, I saw that level of leadership and went, oh, I, that looks like something I might be able to do someday, you know. Um, and of course, back then, by the way, very different mindset. I joined IBM the way most people did in the mid 80s, thinking you were going to retire there, right? It was sort of like the world was a different place. I thought, I, lucky lucky me, I got a job at the greatest big tech company in the planet. I'm going to work here for 35 years, like all the people around me at IBM have worked here for 35 years and retire. Yeah. Um, just had a very different view of it, the whole process then. But to your point, even then, I, I guess I've always been a student. So I was watching leadership around me, watching my managers, multiple layers of leadership that I had some exposure to. I went to HP, saw some very different styles of leadership there. They're very different culturally, IBM and HP historically, both historically great businesses that honestly have stumbled quite a bit, um, but, but still had a lot of great core values in some ways at, at their core. Um, then got into this startup world when I moved to Austin. And by the way, yeah, I moved to Austin before Austin was anything like it is today. Now everybody thinks Austin's hip and cool. When I came here in 1995, nobody was coming to Austin um, from the coasts. But um, it's just been a fascinating journey uh, that I feel like God opened that door for us to come here before Austin was a thing. And now we're kind of in the middle of this crazy story at Austin um, that's been kind of a national phenomenon, really, right? Um, and... Uh, 
but yet back to your question. So yeah, I, I started early on, I think, to observe things I liked and didn't like about leadership and how people did things, thinking well, that's kind of like, I think all of us as parents do. You watch your own parents, your, your spouse's parents, other parents, and you start to kind of, whether it's super conscious or not, you start to form an opinion of, I think that's something I will do. I think that is something I will not do, <laughs> right? right? And you sort of kind of keep and discard various aspects of a parenting role. Mm -hmm. I think it's sort of that way for leadership, right? You start to see people do things like, wow, that that looks good. And I think that would work for me. And I, you see people do other things like, well, and sometimes things maybe are good, but you think, well, that's just not me. I, I couldn't lead that way. That's not who I am or my style. And then just other things that are bad. <laughs> like right. I don't want to lead that way, right? And in some ways, some of my early thoughts were probably more about the things I didn't want to do. Mm. Um, but somewhere along the way, I felt like, okay, I can't just decide the things I'm not going to do I, and then default into whatever the opposite is. I have to be more intentional about what I do want to do and how I want to approach it. And the interesting thing about these two startups, you know, one's relatively short, about a five-year run, uh, this one almost coming up on 20 for kind of about 17. Um, I think some of the things I learned in that experience definitely colored some of the things I brought into SailPoint. Like having run a business kind of as a leader, one of the two top leaders of the company with a set of values we had set up and a set of approaches, how we managed. And I saw some stuff that worked and maybe some stuff that I thought didn't work quite as well. And so this go around, I thought, okay, I'm going to tweak some of that. And again, in my mind, I thought, okay, we'll see how this one works for this company for five or six years. And then maybe wow. I'll tweak it again for the next company. And instead, it's been a very, excuse me, different journey of learning how to take values and leadership approaches at very different scales, right? Like, right. I truly can't even comprehend places like Google and Amazon that have gone from startups to like hundreds and hundreds of thousands of employees. But we've gone from three to a couple thousand in 15 years. And that's that's a lot of change, a lot of different approaches once everybody didn't fit in the room mm -hmm. and then everybody wasn't in the same time zone, then everybody wasn't in the same country. <laughs> like right. all of a sudden you just got a lot of different ways you you take your leadership approaches and your values mm -hmm. and you think, how do I apply these in a very different setting, but try to hold on to the core principles and values? That's how I think of it. That's powerful. One of the things that I would love for you to share a little bit along this journey, though, is a lot of men who go on this journey, or even women, and then, but people who sure. go on this journey of being in, in leadership and business would have a tendency to just pour themselves only into the business mm -hmm. and then would begin to neglect things at home and avoid things at home or, you know, it would, would put a whole, a whole lot more attention on the business than the home. And one of the things that I know just kind of watching your life and knowing your family is that was not something you got sucked into. Um, or maybe you did a little bit, but I mean, it just sure. healthy your family and things like that. It's a it's a minefield that you seem to have navigated better than most. Maybe that's a better statement. I'd love for you to talk a little bit about what at least gave you that wisdom, because that's not the standard definition of success of running business. That's a that's get against that. What what guided that level of thinking and connection? Uh, it's, it's a really good point and good observation. Yeah, I do think. And I guess the first word that popped in my head was intentionality. To your point. Yeah. A lot of people, they intentionally focus on their business success and then sort of feel like the rest of their life gets their leftovers. Right? They wouldn't say it that way, but that's kind of effectively what they do, right? Like I'm going to make sure, especially if you're an entrepreneur, but even if you're in other kinds of leadership things, you tend to say, well, I'm going to give everything I can to make sure this business venture succeeds. 
and do my best, quote unquote, to be a good husband or wife, be a good father or mother, a friend, um, do good in the community, be involved at church, whatever, whatever other values you're trying to do. But if you have sort of that mindset of priority one is the business and the rest gets the available remainder, I think that's going to create issues. I, I literally will sometimes give a talk, even in, in a in a secular setting as opposed to a church setting, to people saying, hey, look, I know guys my age who are on their fourth marriage with three kids in rehab and they live in a 10,000 square foot house by themselves. Mm. That is not the success you want. Right. So I literally try to scare people a little bit like, ooh, yeah, that sounds kind of awful. Well, here's what here's what happens. If you don't think about balancing your, your values and your family and your life, and look, I have struggled. My wife and kids would tell you there have been times I was less available than they would want when my priorities have seemed a bit out of whack to them. And it, that's what I mean about intentionality. I feel like it's steering a car, you're course correcting, like there's a pull yeah. to the left in this car toward the business success thing. And it's not that I'm not trying to be successful as a business person, but I'm only committed to doing that in the context of having a quote successful whole life which means family and faith and all these other aspects and that does mean you make trade-offs i think that's the part that people don't necessarily want to live with is then for that to be true you will at times go there's something i could or maybe even should do that would help my business but i'm not going to do that because i need to spend time at home or i need to spend time doing this or that or the other thing i mean at the end of the day um i think it was drucker or somebody who kind of talked about really tasks are best managed with a calendar, right? Like at the end of the day, it's not a task list. And I, I respect all the folks that think about task management and priorities and getting things done, that whole book and phenomenon. And I've kind of just learned what goes on my calendar and how I, how I allocate my time says far more about my priorities. There's an old thing back in the days when we had checkbooks. I don't know if this works anymore, but just, you know, show me your calendar and your checkbook and I'll tell you what your priorities are. Oh, right? Don't tell me what your priorities are. Just show me your calendar and where your money goes and I'll tell you what your priorities are. Mm -hmm. And I think that is, again, the older I get, the more I believe that is incredibly true. Yeah. You say certain things are important, but if you don't ever make time for your family or if you spend all your money on stuff for yourself, and not for good causes, then really, do you care about your church or your community? <laughs> you know, right. like I think it's just easy to say it, it's sort of a barometer. It's an accountability check on if you say these things are important, then they should show up in those two core measures of time and money. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, one of the other things I, I respect, I know we're going to run out of time here, so I, I want to give you a chance to talk a little bit about this. Um, one of the things I really respect about you, Mark, is as a public CEO, Fortune 500 type company that's out there in the public. One of the things you have not done is back down from your faith and been just saying, no, this is who I am. And, this, and, and in this world today in cancel culture and all of that, there is a tendency then to say, if I want to be successful, then what I need to do is be quiet about my faith and keep those things more private rather than being open and honest and authentic about the way that I live and what I do. What have you learned in navigating that in this kind of time and world that we live in today? Yeah, there's a couple of thoughts there. And I think it's, it, is, it is a very challenging time and it's probably going to get more challenging, not less, if I'm honest. Um, I think two things are true. One is you do have to get your, your faith priority view of God right. I don't know how to say it any differently. Um, there's a phrase in the faith community, an audience of one, yeah. <laughs> you know, sort of like at the end of the day, 
we can be very driven by the evaluation and opinions of people around us. And, you know, if, if your view of God is big enough, and I think there's only one right view of God, which is very big, um, that, that ultimately I'm accountable to God and he's, he's going to, to determine how I, how I reacted to what, what he delivered as what I believe is the truth in the Bible. Um, then, then keeping that focus right says, well, even at times if I do things that others won't be happy with, if I'm trying to to do the things I think God is calling me to in His Word, then that's 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 the most important uh, barometer. But then, unfortunately, I think in our culture, even in our Christian subculture, that sometimes drives people to go very conservative in their values and judgmental in their mindset. Mm. And I think what I've tried to figure out how to navigate correctly is these are my values and I hold them to be my, my view of the truth and not my truth in the way the world says today, my truth, your truth. I'm like, I think it is truth. I think truth yes. can be absolute. That's not a popular opinion. And so I think that is truth, but my role is to not judge or demand that of people. It is to live the way Christ called us to live, yeah. loving people, being kind and caring for people. And when you do that, you kind of throw a wrench into their mindset because I think what so many friends in our culture today see is, well, the people I hear about as Christians are super judgmental of my lifestyle, my attitude, my beliefs. And and when you say, look, I am that person from a values and what I care about and, and my belief in God and Christ standpoint, but I am not that person in how I'm going to treat you or judge you or or interact with you. And I think that's that's the the that's the place I think we can go as as leaders in the public arena. I think you've seen some incredible examples of this in the in the p- political arena with some very faithful Christians in leadership roles in the p- political arena, in the business arena, in the arts and media world. It's a minority, to be fair. I think we all have to acknowledge it's a minority. But there are people who are like, "This is who I am. This is my value set. This is what I believe." but I will still love you yeah. and be supportive of you and encourage you. I, I have a lot of people who work with me who don't share my values about certain things and I don't share theirs. And I care so deeply about them and they care about me, right? right. And, 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 and we don't have to align and agree about all those things to be friends, right? Yeah. I think one of the broken things in our culture is like people are in these little clubs where they only wanna to talk to people who think and act just like they do. That can happen in the church. It can happen in the far left politically. It can happen in the far right politically. It can happen all over. And I'm just like, that's not good, (laughs) right? That's not good. Um, We should have real friends, not just acquaintances who are in different vantage points than us and and yet still are our friends because they know we care about them. Absolutely. That's so good. That's so good. So today's, the, the whole theme of this episode is redefining success. I can't, Get, we can't leave today without mentioning Mark has written an incredible book. Um, you've got to get a copy called Joy and Success at Work. And what I love is the subtitle, which is Building Organizations That Don't Suck the Life Out of People. Um, <laughs> you, you'll understand the pause when you take a look at the cover of the book. And, it. just, and the other thing I'll tell you is it's just a wonderful book. It's an easy read because it's not like one of those you read from front to back. It's topical. And so you get into different leadership topics and I've truly enjoyed kind of going through it and reviewing and it shaped some of my own leadership. Um, A lot of what we talked about today is in there and even some other things that I think would be super important. Um, As you're leading an organization, Mark, I just want to thank you for for writing that book and taking the time Mm -hmm. to put that out there because it's an incredible resource to business leaders. 
Yeah, it was a lot of fun, more fun than I thought it was going to be to try to get that done. And, uh, and yeah, there is a there is a sense that I, I put a lot of my accumulated wisdom and frankly, a lot of my accumulated wisdom you'll see all over the book as I'm just referencing the wisdom of others in many places. And in some cases, kind of maybe correlating it in a slightly different, unique way. But yeah, no, it was a lot of fun to do that. And, and I do feel like that is part of my role at this stage of life is to try to be capturing some of those things, mentoring, giving back to the next generation of leaders. Hey, here's here, here's how I found things to work. <laughs> and yeah. if this is helpful to you, great. I don't expect people to just adopt it wholesale. Um, but I think there's definitely some truth in there that is useful that I've mostly picked up from others. Well, it's it's an incredible resource, Mark. I know you've got other things to get to, but I'm not going to let you go until I ask you, which is my always my favorite final question. In three generations, what do you hope your great grandchildren remember about you? Yeah, that's a funny uh, My wife and I've been talking recently. So we have seven grandkids and you know, our parents, three, three out of our four parents are still alive. So they're now seeing their great grandchildren. And uh, so we, I hope Lord willing and our health stays good that we'll get to meet and, and get to know some of our great grandchildren, but we may not, who knows, right? right? We may be gone before they get to the planet. Um, yeah, it's, it's interesting, you know, life is so short. We, we, in some ways it's so long and in other ways it's so short, right? You, you literally, if you know your great grandparents at all, you barely know them typically, right. right? You might know of them a little more. So it's almost impressions and, and reputation. Um, yeah, I, I would hope a few things. I would hope that what my great grandchildren was would know is I was focused on that 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 tension, managing that tension of faith and, and business success and family in a way that tried to live an integrated, purposeful life. And then they see the ripple of that, mm. of their parents and their grandparents that they will know better than they know me as a great grandparent still are carrying on some of those values and are still looking to integrate their faith into their day-to-day -day living, uh, whatever their vocation. Um, I, I would hope back to the time and money thing, um, you know, I, I would hope that they would see the legacy of the way I spent my time and encouraged others to spend their time the way we, we stewarded the gifts and resources we were given for good good works and good causes and, and kingdom mindset, that they would see that and want to continue along that same journey. I, I learned some great things from some of my legacy parents and grandparents and some things they weren't as good at. And, and I've tried to do better at some of those things, um, uh, as I understand kind of the calling I've been given. But but I'm quite confident we're not going to get it perfectly right. And our kids and grandkids will improve on some of what we're trying to do. But that 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 they would see that intent and that focus yeah. of, of how we approached it. Um, and and that that they would, yeah, to your point where you started on the humility thing, that they would recognize that whatever they achieve, whatever success comes their way is really not up to them. Mm. Um, you know, I don't I don't believe that what's happened is somehow due to my own amazing ability or whatever i was gifted with some intelligence and some ability but i use that term intensely i was gifted with that i um I, I didn't i didn't get to decide what kind of brain i had i've worked hard we do control our energy and our effort but but there's a lot of tools and opportunities that i was given that i didn't deserve or asked for and mm -hmm. um and now i feel like that just continues to be true things continue to unfold on my journey that i still couldn't have predicted uh, even a few years ago. So why would I think I could predict where we go from here? <laughs> I've proven quite inept at predicting what will happen actually. Um, so I'm just kind of, I love, I'd love to use the phrase sometimes I tell people, I feel like I'm watching myself in a movie sometimes like, well, this is fascinating. I wonder what's going to happen next. 
um, I didn't see this twist in the plot coming. Um, so that's how I look at it. It's just, it's a great adventure. Uh, I think if you really get the faith thing right, it's sort of an adventure mindset. Like, oh, let's yeah. just kind of, you know, go on down the path and see what unfolds and, you know, kind of hold on to God's hand as we go and see where it goes. And I think that's just a great way to live. So that's how it's been for me. I love that. Mark, if someone wants to kind of keep up and follow what you're doing, what's the easiest way to kind of keep up with everything that you do on a regular basis? Well, there isn't a lot to keep up with, right? There, I don't like crank out many more books. Somebody asked me recently, I enjoyed your book. When do you think you'll do the next one? I said, probably 30 years. I got to learn about it. <laughs> you know, it took me 60 years to write the first one almost. So, um, I I do post some on my LinkedIn page because that well that's a lot of our sale point work stuff. I do kind of post some personal yeah. thoughts out there sometimes too, but yeah, it's it's not. I haven't focused on kind of the personal leadership blogging stuff. Some of that comes out in some of my LinkedIn stuff, um, and I actually have a Twitter account too that honestly I don't pay as much attention to. But um, um, we do post some stuff out there, but a lot of that's more work oriented stuff. Yeah. But um, but yeah, no, it's there isn't a lot to follow. There's the book there's some LinkedIn postings and, and um, yeah, I, I will hopefully be able to continue to kind of put some of those thoughts out there uh, over time as well. But, um, and yeah, there may be another book someday, but probably not while I'm still in this job. <laughs> I think I think the next book will have to come after I, I lay down the day-to-day -day mantle of a, of a CEO. I think well, it's I will, just... I will warn you with the warning that Ron Blue gave me when my book came out. I think he said, he'd say, he looked at me and he said, I'm so sorry. I've never known God to call a man to write just one book. <laughs> that's funny i've never heard that i love that okay i'll i'll tuck that one away yeah because you said you had a lot of fun mine was mine was a labor and i don't know if you had the same experience but writing a book is a labor so yeah it, it can be mine was less so because again as you pointed out uh thanks for the compliments on the book it's it's really to use the term of today i guess it's a collection of blocks yeah and so i didn't have to have some big thought that i defended well with a whole bunch of evidence and data like i just put out a bunch of my thoughts on all kinds of topics. And after almost 60 years on the planet, I had opinions on a lot of topics. So I just popped <laughs> a lot of those out there and like, well, I can say what I think about this and this and this and this, I think, what is there? 50 something chapters in the book, yeah. I think. And that sounds scary to people when I say, well, a lot of them are half a page, one page, like yeah. chapter is sort of a misnomer here. <laughs> But it's a great resource. I mean, I've referred back to it several times on things I've been stuck on or just even coaching and counseling other people. So Mar your mentorship just extends beyond what you even know. And I would encourage each one of my listeners do go get a copy because it is just if you're a leader and you're navigating this faith family finance world and wanting to lead well, it's a great resource. It's a great hope, hope it's helpful to others too. That's fun. Yeah. I'm not particularly concerned with selling a lot of books. That wasn't sort of my goal. If, if people get it out there, I'm happy to encourage people, but it's not like I'm worried about the royalties. That's I get not, it. I get it. That's not my, uh, my primary concern. I'd give it away, but I don't think they would let me. But, uh, so I guess we have to pay somebody for something there. There you do. You do. Mark, thank you so much. I know you've got this. Is, you run, it's a busy day, stepping away from running a big organization and taking time to do this today was just a blessing to me. It's a blessing to the audience. So thank you so much for being with us and joining us today. Thanks, man. Appreciate it, Eric. Good catching up. Appreciate all the work you, you do with your firm and just your personal impact as well that you're, you're do, doing, trying to do the same thing. Have a, have, a, have a salt and light impact where you are. That's all we can Absolutely. do. All right. Thank you so much. Thank you, everyone, for joining us. We'll be back again next week with another episode. God bless you. Have a great day.
Eric L. Dunavit here. Thank you so much for joining us for Redefining Success, the Kingdom Builder Spotlight. If you're a business owner or a family who is actively redefining success or have thoughts on kingdom impact or generational prosperity, and you would like to be a guest on the show, then I invite you to apply. Visit www.ericldunavant.com slash podcast slash apply. Also, if you enjoyed today's episode, I would love for you to share that either through text or social media. Take a screenshot of the show and share that and share what you learned. If you know anyone that should be a guest on our show, we would also love for you to connect us to them. The best way to do that is to use hashtag redefining success. I love to read your thoughts and shares on social media. And we also are honored just to get any recommendations of people that you think we should be interviewing on the show. We are constantly adding new content, adding new podcasts. So first and foremost, I'm going to recommend that you subscribe so that you don't miss a thing. Also, you, all of your likes, your reviews, your shares, all of that makes a big difference to the show. So if you'll include those when you can, we definitely appreciate it. If you'd like to get in touch with me, visit www.ericl360.com and all of my connections to social and other ways to get in touch with me are there. This is Eric L. Dunavant, the Mindset Disruption Strategist, signing off until next time.